Hey guys, welcome back to the Spirits Guide podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating world of spirits. I want to welcome you guys. This is episode three of full-length episodes. I want to start out by thanking everybody who listened to the Anthony Bourdain episodes one and two, the Kitchen Confidential and Roadrunner episodes. The fact that you guys are out there listening, digging what I'm doing, uh, and the feedback and the response has been so good and so positive. I just, I can't thank you guys enough for being there and for listening. And I'm excited to really start to grow things from here on out. This episode, things open up a lot more. It's the first episode with a guest. I am joined by my great friend, Peter Thomas. If you guys have watched us on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits page, Peter has joined me for plenty of videos over there. Uh, and really, my friendship with Peter is the epitome of everything that I'm trying to do here, where is he is somebody who wasn't in my life three years ago, and then as the pandemic kicked in, and he's a big cocktail kind of geek, you know, and did a lot of at-home cocktails, started shopping at the store. We end up talking about, and I actually remember the first product we talked about, which was the Loose Style Grand Reserver Spanish Brandy. And from there, it just sort of grew into talking about things, you know, gin-related, uh, tequila-related, mezcal, rum, bourbon, wine, just sort of the whole spirit world. And just it grew over time that we started sharing samples back and forth, talking, keeping in touch. Um, and through this sort of spirit connection, we have become friends even beyond that. So we stay in touch and, and we communicate all the time. And that's really what this should all be about is, you know, spirits and making connections and we start to explore on this episode some of the other aspects of, of human connections. And on this one, uh, I was so excited to do it. And, and Peter was really the perfect person to do this with. Uh, we're talking about rum on this episode, uh, specifically Jamaican rum. And kind of the connection to Jamaican rum, when you think of Jamaica, really the first thing you should think of is Bob Marley. When you think of Bob Marley, you think of the most important reggae album of all time, which is Bob Marley Legend. Uh, and, you know, when you dive a little deeper, you realize how interesting and complex and layered of a person that Bob Marley was. And, you know, I have this fascination with interesting, complex people that are more than what they appear to be on the surface. And we dig into that really, really deep here. Uh, we talk about the Marley documentary that's on Prime, and I think it's on Showtime too. Uh, there's a show on Netflix that's called Remastered, and there's an episode called Who Shot the Sheriff, which is sort of a mini documentary on Bob Marley. We talk a lot about uh, legend and you know, talk about some of the tracks and, and, and Bob's music. Uh, his influence globally, and how he really wanted to connect the whole world. Now, when Peter and I get into this, you know, I thought, 
much like I think about a lot of things when I get into them, I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's a, you know, we'll have a, a nice, quick little conversation. And the reality of it is, one, whenever humans are having physical conversations in the same room connecting, there should be no time limit. Uh, and what we found is we were, we were going and we got about halfway through and realized we had talked for quite a bit of time. So we kind of cut it and then picked it up. And there's so much content and dialogue here that I decided to break this up into two episodes. So this episode is part one of my conversation, sitting down with Peter. Uh, and then next week I'll release part two, uh, which is a lot of fun because we finished up the rums that I planned on tasting. And then we brought out something that was absolutely amazing. So on this episode, we talk about you know, the rules, regulations, guidelines for Jamaican rum. There's only a handful of actual distilleries on the island. And we tried to get, you know, some rums from each one of them. Uh, on this episode, we're talking about Rum Fire from Hamden Estate. We're talking about Rum Bar, uh, the gold bottling from Worthy Park. And Plantation, the uh, Zamaka, uh, which as we bring up in the, the episode Zamaka is actually the original name of the island before it was changed to Jamaica. So lots of great rums, lots of great conversation. And again, so much great conversation that we decided to break it up into two episodes. Whew. All right. All that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you like what's going on here, if you're digging this, um, and especially if you get to the end of this episode and you see how it's really starting to open up, go to the podcast page on Spotify, follow the podcast, give us a rating, go to Facebook, go to Instagram. You can follow me as the Spirits Guide on Facebook or Instagram. You can message me through either one of those platforms. You know, on Facebook, we post the new episodes so you can leave reviews of the podcast episodes. And on Instagram, I'm posting pretty much every day of what I'm drinking and what I'm either listening to, reading, watching, whatever it is that I'm doing while I'm drinking it. So you can message me through both those platforms. You can leave comments and reviews on either one of those platforms. If you want to get closer in touch with me, you can email me at thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. You know, if you have a sample that you're curious of my opinion of that you want me to use on a Monday night sample size, if there's something I taste, if there's any one of these rums where you're like, hey, that sounds really cool and interesting, can I get a sample of that? I will do everything in my power to get you a sample of it, um, however it is that I can do that. If you want to be part of the show, email me with a show idea. I would love to chat with other people out there who are you know, geeking out about spirits and, and want to make connections and talk about other things. You know, I look forward to talking about music and movies and books and all kinds of stuff. I also look forward to in the future, we're going to do some cool round table whiskey discussions, uh, with my friends in the horseshoe barrel society. Uh, we're just going to kind of nail down a, a time and a place, but looking forward to that, looking forward to doing some stuff with, uh, the BSO, there's some great stuff in the lines with that. Corey coming to join me on some episodes. 
So there's so much going on in the future. I can't wait to get to it. I can't wait to share it with you guys uh, and can't wait to just bring you guys more into the fold. So yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, follow, rate, review, comment. And if you've got friends out there that you think would be into what we're doing here, uh, share the podcast with them as well. And that's how we'll grow this thing, reach more people. Uh, yeah, and just keep getting better and go on this journey. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. And uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. Cheers. All right. Yeah. Well, audio's good. Yeah, audio's going to be good. I think we're going to be fine. I'm curious as to where we're going to go with this. I think there's so much fun conversation to be had here. Absolutely. All right, so here we are. Uh, I'm not sure what episode this is going to end up being. I think my initial plan is probably number three after we do the, the Bourdain episodes. Um, but this is kind of the perfect, I feel like this is kind of the perfect episode for you and I, mm. too. Uh, it's not whiskey, and it's music, and it's Bob Marley, which Bob Marley's whole thing was bringing people together, and that's where, uh, you know, you and I began three years ago, didn't exist, and nope. here we are in the inner sanctum, um, so yeah. We're spirits guide, so we're talking about spirits. And, you know, I like to show that we do more than just drink, too. Like, I want people to know that we're more than just a bunch of drunks who hang around. Like, there's some substance to what we do. There's some inspiration. I don't know what glass to start with here. We'll just go with these. Yeah. Russell's. Um, there are other connections to yeah, be made. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um and for me personally, I've always believed like spirits were a great connecting force. Music is a great connecting force. We're probably starting the rum part of this backwards. Um, but I'm starting because it's clear. So mm -hmm. Jamaican rum, I'll give you what I know and you can give me what you know. But uh, six distilleries on the island used to be many, many more, but consolidation and Whatever has narrowed it down to Economy. six. Yeah, economical stuff. Yeah. Um, corporate ownership as well. <clears throat> Here's what my research gives me. Worthy Park, um, Hamden, Long Pond, Appleton, New Yarmouth, and Monty Musk or Clarendon were the six that I've got. My little bit of research. Um, and then we'll get into why... I kind of love Jamaican rums. Rules and regs? Rules and regs. Rum is a, a funny one. And you know, rum to me is like brandy. Like every country that has fruit is has a, make brandy. a brandy. Yep. And every country that has sugar makes a rum. Absolutely. So, especially in the Caribbean. Um, you know, Martinique. When I was looking for Jamaican rums for this, I actually had a harder time. There's not a ton. Not a ton, especially that are labeled as an IG, which is indication of geography. Geography, right. Um, that well, are IG Jamaican. Yeah, 100% Jamaican. 100% Jamaican, right. Because we were talking about that. Yeah, because things like Captain Morgan's are made in Jamaica. Right. But they're blended with other things and they don't really meet. Um, 
the Jamaican thing. So yeah, I guess I actually wrote down all the, the IG rules. Kind of simple. Uh, made from sugarcane, sugarcane molasses, sugarcane syrup, sugar. Um, fermented and distilled in the territory of the limestone aquifer. And water's a big deal. Water's a big deal. Um, and for any bourbon drinkers out there, why do we love Kentucky bourbon? Limestone, limestone water. water. Huge. Jamaica sits Same on thing. limestone. It's all limestone water. Exactly. Um, their number three guidelines are basically the combination of one and two. Can be made from cultured yeast, either commercial or open air. Air, wild. Um, which that open air yeast is what kind of gives it that funk. Funk. Yeah. Um, which is really, really cool. Can be made in pot or column. Um, a lot more, if I'm not mistaken, Rich, a little bit more of the pot still in yeah. Jamaica. Yeah, the, the pot still especially is Especially the popular more, brands. Yeah. And I feel like that's the old school way of doing things. Um, column stills or coffee stills was a fairly later. A little bit more labor intensive. Yeah. A little more mm -hmm. expensive. But the, yeah. But overall, from what little I've read... You're going to get a lot more flavor. A lot more flavor, yeah. Um, because you're basically doing it by the batch, too. Yep. Um, column stills just allow you to run, run 24 hours a and day. And recycle. Yep, much more efficient. Yep. Um, this one I found interesting. In order to get that Jamaican rum IG, you have to make your rum available for chemical analysis by kind of the governing body. Wow. So you have to actually submit it for analysis. I don't know of any other spirit that, that does that. That does that, where you have to submit it for chemical analysis. Even bourbon. Yeah. However stringent that is, which is probably the most highly regulated spirit in that in the United States. Mm -hmm. For Jamaica to require that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, there's basically only two types of Jamaican rum, aged or unaged. Unaged. Yeah. You know, as far as classification goes, uh, the color can only come from wood. Or sugar caramel. So I guess that does allow for caramel coloring. Yeah. But you can't add, like other countries can add juice, port wine. Like beet juice. Uh, you know, other things for color. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with Jamaican rum. There's actually no rules that say you can't add sugar. But then there's an excise rule that says you can't adulterate the rum. So... Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing specific that says you can't add sugar, but in order to get it classified, you can't add sugar. Um, age statement must be certified, and much like bourbon, it has to be the youngest rum in the blend. In the blend. So if you're going to put an age on it, when we taste the Appleton 15, the youngest in there is 15. 15 years. Um, it can only be moved from the distillery to a store or an excise warehouse. So the government has pretty strict control Controls. over it there. Um, if you state it as GI compliant and it's not, you can be prosecuted. That's an actual rule. Um, so of all the islands, wouldn't you say Jamaica <clears throat> probably is the most highly regulated? I would say um, Jamaica or uh, what is the French on one? Martinique? Martinique. That does rum agricole. Right. Those are probably the two most regulated mm. to carry that, you know, you can put Jamaican on the label if the rum came from Jamaica, but it's not Jamaican rum. Rum, 
correct? Um, which we see with a lot of the plantation offerings. You know, they might list Barbados, Guiana, uh, Jamaica. Right. But it's not Jamaican rum. Yeah. Right. Uh, overproof is 125 or more. Or above. Um, which is the biggest selling style of rum in Jamaica. In Jamaica, yeah. Um, not surprising. Ray and Nephew is the, from all my research, Ray and Nephew is the number one selling rum in Jamaica. That being said, the first rum that we're tasting here, as we talk about Jamaican rum, is Rum Fire, uh, which is, uh, yeah, Rum Fire. Yep, Hampton Estates. Hampton Estates. <clears throat> 63. Not, yeah, not a lot of history on it. Um, just over that 125. When I first saw this, I hated the package. Mm. Um, it looks a little kitschy. But then, you know, doing the research and realizing, like, how unique Hampton Estate is. There's not... If you do the, the research and you Google, like, distilleries in Jamaica, of the four rums we're going to taste here tonight... We've got all six distilleries covered, covered. and that's probably 80 to 90% of what's available, at least in Massachusetts, for Jamaican IG rum. Now, this was created to kind of be, I don't want to say a competitor to Ray and Nephew, but to be in that same vein, it's an overproof white rum, and even though it's overproof and it's probably not where we want to start... <laughs> tasting but it's clear it's clear um and i think that overproof presents all the funk oh you're getting the hogo yeah big it, time hogo is a is a big sort of trendy term now with jamaican rums and i think well i know that hamden has what's called a dunder pit mm -hmm. um and all the research people might have heard about dunder pits and you know, there are like monkey heads in there and dead animals and whatever. Mm -mm. Not true. Yeah. It's basically just a pit where they throw the spent grain. Correct. From the previous distillate. Batch. Yep. Uh, and then they use some of that kind of like sourdough or yeah. like bourbon. Like a starter. It's yep. like their starter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get some of that wild fermentation. It almost reminds me of... Like if you drink Belgian beers, like oh, you're getting actual the, sours. Yeah, you you're know? getting the the true the grassiness. Yeah, I this Big gives time. me like grassiness. It gives me plantains. Um, it gives me like I don't know, succulents. It almost reminds me of like the smell of aloe, like green, almost like yeah. The, everything is green on the nose. The fruitiness of a bell pepper. Um, but really fresh as soon as you slice into a bell pepper. Yeah, yeah. Where you get that immediate aroma. And yeah, it's got a little bit of heat. Obviously, it's mm. it's up there. But it's got all that wonderful, wonderful funk. And even with the heat... There's not a lot of burn to it. No. <sighs> yeah, you'll get the tingle, but it's it's kind of a controlled burn, which is actually very pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could borderline just put that over ice and 
Yeah, if you put sipping. a rock on that, that would temper it, mm -hmm. and you're still going to get that quality of that vegetal. And there is, it's almost like an, uh, like almost like a demi demi sec champagne. You are getting a little hint of sweetness. Mm -hmm. It's there, kind of in the back of your palate. After you get acclimated. You're really getting a nice balance of the vegetal and the grassiness with just a hint of sweetness in the back palate. Yeah, and I think that the ABV <clears throat> kind of tempers that sweetness a bit. Oh, very much so. I also get, you know, you mentioned like champagne. Like I get some of that yeastiness too. Like you do. a hint of that, the bready yeah. kind of aspects of champagne that I sometimes get. Yep. So yeah, this is Hampton. It's one of the six distilleries in Jamaica, along with Worthy Park, like I said, Long Pond, Appleton and New, New Yarmouth, and Clarendon. Uh, Appleton and New Yarmouth are owned by Ray and Nephew, which is the parent company there. Uh, so some interesting stuff there. Long Pond and Clarendon are owned by three companies, uh, one of which is... Uh, Plantation, Plantation or Pia Ferrand. Yeah. They own a third of it. Yeah, because the Plantation single barrel that I sent you a sample of, mm -hmm. they're using the same distillery because mm -hmm. it's it's a column. Yep. And Long Pond is where Captain Morgan's and Myers are made. Yep. Um, and that's an old distillery. Yeah. I saw pictures of it. It looks mm -hmm. like, like pre-World War One. So we talk about Jamaica. You can't talk about Jamaica without talking about Bob Marley, <laughs> the most famous Jamaican ever. Uh, by the way, I don't proclaim to be some genius. You know, people think, oh, you're so smart. You do these podcasts. You have so much info. I know how to use Google. And I like watching documentaries. Uh, so a lot of the my source material to talk about Bob Marley and even spirits is Google and two fantastic documentaries that I've watched in the past few days. Um, we both watched mm. Marley on Amazon Prime. Have you seen the Who Shot the Sheriff on Netflix? No. On Netflix, they do this series called Remastered, and it's basically kind of criminal musical tie-ins. Mm -hmm. There's one about Sam Cooke and uh, some other band stuff. And that one focuses strictly on the assassination attempt. On who assassinated or Marley. Who attempted to assassinate Bob Marley <clears throat> from a musical perspective. And part of the reason I was excited to talk about this with you is you're a few years older than I am. So you came to music a little bit sooner than I did. Mm -hmm. um, I think to me, Marley's career kind of changes around 72. Uh, that's where he gets into Rastafarianism. Mm -hmm. It's also where he signs to Island Records. Uh, and they start to make him bigger. Prior to that, it's more ska music and before it kind of turns into reggae. What was your awareness of Marley? Like, where did you come into Marley and Legend? Like, were you aware of him before Legend? or? Yeah. Uh, in the 70s, without getting into specifics on age, was when I was in college. And Marley was on the fringes because at that time, unfortunately for me, what was hitting the U.S. as a as a fad was disco. All right. Think about mm -hmm. it. It yep. was the mid to late 70s. 
And that really, that almost started trampling over really solid rock, the British invasion. It was so that it, it, it really kind of obscured these outlier groups like Marley. And yet he was unique enough where at my age, there was enough intrigue because to me, he was ubiquitous. He was different. He was unique. And I thought this was something that had more of a universal appeal. You just had a sense and sensibility where I felt he crossed all age brackets mm. and and preferences. You know, he didn't peg himself. He was like a troubadour, yep. you know, mm. and that that was kind of who he was as a as a human being. And if if someone's not familiar with Marley, you have to watch the documentary. Because I'm sure Rich knows there's so much of a complexity to Marley that most people are not familiar with, mm -hmm. you know. So that's my my perception at my age. And there's so many. Uh, I have a 30 some odd year old son who absolutely is in, in, entranced with Marley. I have a niece who's in her 40s who the band she hired was a cover band for Marley. Mm. And that's all they played. Mm. And you had probably three generations that were up there dancing to Marley. That to me spoke everything I needed to know about Marley. Yeah. I think it's, it's fantastic. <clears throat> Watching the documentary. I also got the sense of like, and I'm a music nut and this will kind of be a common theme going on for podcasts and it's always been a theme in my life uh, but I also feel like I grew up my uncles were a little bit older than I was um, and I know that radio prior to before when I got into music before AOR like you could just turn on the radio and get Martha Reeves mm. get the Rolling Stones get Bob Marley and radio wasn't really segmented into genres you know, it was everything. Like between your generation and mine was kind of the creation of AOR, right. album-oriented rock, and everything was either rock music or sure. disco or soul. It was segmented. Um, and for me growing up, because radio, by the time I got into music, was segmented like that, I grew up obviously white. My environment was white. Yep. My high school was almost entirely white. So my exposure to music was what was quote unquote white music. It was sure. rock. I wasn't exposed to soul. Um, and if Steve had been here and we talked to him, like when he was growing up, it had swung around and he grew up with a lot of hip hop mm -hmm. kind of being in, in that sort of cultural kind of swing. <clears throat> so like, I didn't grow up listening to Marley. I don't remember the first time I even heard it. It just sort of feels like, he was ingrained into sort of my DNA. DNA, like you just, yeah. You know, you'd heard commercials for Jamaica and they were playing One Love or, you know, Three he was Little Birds. Or... Yeah, he was always present. And yeah. I agree. It, you didn't really have a, a time and place and space where you said, ah, that's where I was captivated. Mm -hmm. It was almost like he was always in the ether. Mm-hmm. 
and it was pleasant. It was enjoyable. It was comforting. Yep. And I think when you really dig in and do a deeper dive into Marley, that's all, that's what was so important to him. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't have an agenda other than he wanted to reach out to the people Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you don't hear the word troubadour all that often, but I think he was a, a, a classic troubadour. He just wanted to share what he had a passion for. He was obviously not in it for the money. No. He gave most of it away. Yeah. So, I mean, just an extraordinary man. I mean, a very complex person. I that, That's what I found from the, the documentary, too, that I thought was really, really cool, was that... You know, when they were coming up and they get signed to Island, doesn't matter what glass we yeah, use. I don't... Um, and, you know, Chris Blackwell would say, like, oh, we're going to play the show and you're not going to get paid. Right. And the other guys in the band, Bunny or, or Peter Tosh, were like, uh, this doesn't make any sense. To the and point Bob where... was like, I don't, whatever, I don't care. I want to reach more people right. and I'll do what I have to do. Um, he got it. And then in the end, he wanted to reach more black people right and i don't i don't want anybody to like comment or say like oh you can't refer to them as black people i'm quoting what bob was saying in the documentary he was there was always an element of they love the fact that they had white crowds but if you watch the documentary in the end like they speak to that his whole thing with going to africa and rastafarianism and that whole rastafarianism was all based in you know black men being Mm self-empowered um and I guess it's kind of important when we go back to rum and the next rum that we've poured is Jamaica really does have a dark, dark history with rum in the slave trade. Uh, and it's, I feel like it doesn't get discussed enough No, now of, you know, the, the rum triangle where they were taking slaves from Africa, coming over to Jamaica and the other islands. They allude to the door. Yeah. The, the, the door. That's right. Point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they mem- they document the whole story, the whole trip. Yep, the slaves went from Africa to the islands. They picked up the sugar cane in the islands. They brought it to Boston, where they picked up the rum in Boston. Mm-hmm. Brought the rum back to Africa, and yep. that was the whole circle. Circle. So we moved on to rum number two. This is another fairly new one to the marketplace, rum bar. Now, this one I've not had. This is made at Worthy Park. Um, and again, if you're going to put the name of the estate on there, it has to come from that estate. So they're basically kind of like single malts almost, too. Mm-hmm. Like you can't blend it with another estate and put the estate name on there. So I was going back and forth whether or not I wanted to use this one or the silver. And I was thinking the silver because it was clean. It was going to be more representative uh, representative of mm-hmm. the flavor. And then I did a little deeper dive on the gold, which I don't know. For some reason, my brain is infected with gold tequila and caramel mm-hmm. coloring. And it's not. And so this is a four-year rum that's aged in ex-American whiskey barrels, specifically Tennessee whiskey barrels. Wow, that's interesting. So they're either old Jack or old Dickel barrels. Yeah. To me. I'm guessing Jack. Probably. Based on the history and the availability. Mm-hmm. 
So again, Worthy Park goes back to 1741. They were closed until 1962. And then they've been making rum again since then. No dunder pit there. So it's just all probably going to say column still. No, this is 100% Is it 100% copper. pot? Copper pot stills from all places. Ireland. No, interesting. Yeah. So all I think all the rest that we're going to be drinking are all pot still. And it's amazing. In the guidelines, it has to be copper. Interesting. Even, even in the column, like the columns have, have to, to be, be copper, copper as well. So yeah, four-year Tennessee whiskey barrel aged. You get some of the rum funk. Oh, yeah. It's still there. Mm. To me, if you're a whiskey drinker and you're curious about rum but don't want to spend a ton of money, 26 bucks for actually four years. The color is all natural. It's all barrel aged. Yeah, and, and you're getting the effects, the benefits of the pot still. You're getting a richer mm. quality. Your mouthfeel, the texture, it's more viscous. There's almost a nice little bit of tannin there as well. Yeah, you're getting a little bit of the oak, but it, it's just a hint, just enough to know it's playing. And again, if I was in the the marketing meeting, I don't know, rum bar just Yeah, the 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 brand the branding, the label is still kind of it's a work in progress. It looks like a well <clears throat> rum from a bartender's perspective. Yeah. That looks like some something I'd be reaching for underneath the bar and not on top of the yeah. bar. Or if you're at a at a a, a retail liquor store, this is potentially on the bottom shelf yep. which is a shame because it's solid yep it's, again under 30 bucks it's 40 percent abv i would use that for rum old fashions yep even my ties i would use that for and no additives mm. so i like the transparency for yep. a brand there's a lot of information on the back so again, no car caramel coloring, no added sugars, allegedly. Mm. Yeah, this is solid. Yeah, I like that a lot. Mm. Still some of that funk underneath, but um, you know, some nice vanilla. Easy to drink. Mm. Is, that, is that 80 proof? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So right 40 percent ABV. That's. Mm. Yeah, I mean my my cocktail brain is like flipping around now. So this this would be a solid mixer for any sort of a cocktail that calls for you know kind of a lighter lower proof mm -hmm. rum. Yeah, this is nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a, a hidden gem there. And this is available yeah. at what you said. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have that at the store. Um and again I I went back and forth. We have a a worthy estate, um, worthy park, estate bottled. Um, is there there's a silver or is it just this one? There's a silver of that, but there's a worthy park, park. Yeah. like labeled for the distillery itself. Uh, it's a little bit more higher end, like a little over 60. 
you know if it's got more age to it probably uh six to ten years yeah. in the blend yeah um and it's pretty fantastic so yeah back to legacy you know, legacy is kind of i guess it's the album that brought me to bob marley because i feel like it's an album that everybody is familiar with is familiar with yeah um I think over 25 million copies worldwide sold. Came out after he died. 14 tracks in the original. I've seen so many different versions of it too. Mm -hmm. um, especially now on Spotify. Like there's tracks that weren't... I looked at it and I said, I don't remember that being on yeah. on the CD that I had. Or It basically features his 10 UK number ones. Because mm -hmm. he was bigger in the UK than he was and, in the U.S. And after, not to jump the shark, but after his assassination attempt, mm -hmm. that he ended up going to Britain to chill for a while. Yeah, yeah. Self-imposed exile yeah. there. Uh, where I think he made his best album, uh, which was Exodus. Exodus. Um, so yeah, the 10 UK number ones, uh, three songs that are from the original Whalers mm -hmm. lineup. Uh, Shot the Sheriff, Stir It Up, and forget what the third one was and then the 14th song is what is considered to be the last song he ever recorded which is redemption redemption song. it's the last song off the last studio album now we started to touch upon this before uh family dinner before we recorded talking about music and sort of going back to an older day and i i think I love this, and I, I love the the album. I'll save my opinions on whether or not it's a great album until the end. You know me, I like to spark a little controversy and start some shit. But <clears throat> we talk about... I was talking to a, a co-worker the other day about an album. I'm talking about Alice in Chains Unplugged. And I said, oh, I love that album. It's my favorite of all the Unplugged albums. He says, yeah, you know, my sister used to drive me to school and it was on cassette and it was in her car and it's what we heard every day. And we were talking about how you had to get rid of all your CDs. And mm -hmm. I, I think as much as I love Spotify and having access to everything, there was something about when you saved your money, you went to the music store, you bought Legend. Like I can still remember the track sequence when one song, if I oh, yeah. hear... Exodus on the radio, mm -hmm. I'm expecting the next song in my head. Being that, yeah. Because you you paid for it, you invested in it, and it was the only thing you had. Yeah. That was what stayed in your car, tape deck, CD player. Yeah, you didn't buy a song. No. You, you bought everything. You bought the whole entire album. album. And that's the way it was. And I, it almost makes me sad for like my daughter's generation, because... Now artists just put out singles. Yeah, exactly. On Spotify. Nobody puts out an album. And to kind of start the controversy, like, is Legend a great album? No, it's not to yeah. me. Um, it's a great collection of songs. It's 10 number one hits. Mm -hmm. It's a great intro. To me, an album is the first Aerosmith album mm -hmm. or... You know, Jay Giles, or you know, just an album, Old Stone, Sticky Fingers, where you got a glimpse into where an artist was at that at moment that point. in time. Yeah. You know what they were thinking when they went in the studio, the writing session. 
it's it's part of their journey. It's part of the journey, and that album is is a linear moment. Legend is a collection of exactly. songs, and it's a great portal, sure, like, into the window of what he was. But dare I say, it's not a great album, right? To me, because um, you can even go further back, and I'll date myself where. When you were talking back in the day where you bought LPs, even the artist, when they're making albums where they've got producers and they've got record labels, what you always heard in the conversation is the A side and the flip side of the, and B, the B side. side yeah. And it was always the hit had to be on the A mm-hmm. side. And if you talk to someone in this generation, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. No. You have no clue. No. No. Or you talk to, you know, I I listen to a lot of podcasts about albums and, you know, sequencing is a big thing with albums of where you put the songs, where you put the hit song and what the first song on side two Two was going to be because you had to flip the record over and you had to recapture people's attention and what song closed the album. You know, I would say if you haven't heard Legend because you live under a rock and you've never <laughs> experienced this, buy this, but then go buy Exodus. Yeah. You know, or more importantly, go buy Live or Babylon by Bus mm. or um, I didn't realize when I started on Spotify that the show from Pittsburgh that's on Spotify mm-hmm. is actually the last show that's he did. That's the last show he did. And that's... Watching that in the documentary was wild. Yeah. And he, according to his girlfriends and bandmates, he did that entire concert purely on adrenaline. Yeah. Because he had already collapsed when Prior he was that, at, yeah. I think, MSG, Madison Square yeah. Garden. Yeah, after that show. He had collapsed. Mm-hmm. And they thought that he wasn't even going to make it. Mm-hmm. And yet he totally recovered and, you know, the classic, the the show must go on. I mean, absolutely Mm -hmm. extraordinary. And it just showed you. And, oh, his wife said he did like even the last concert, he did like five encores. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Where she said where he got the the energy and the will to do that because of course the crowd was going crazy yep was extraordinary and i forget if they knew before the show or after the show that that was going to be oh that was going to be it like they knew i don't remember if they went in and told them after the show or if they went in and told them i think they actually told them before the show they did because they did like a four-hour sound check where they only played one song song. for four hours yep and then they went and said this is gonna be it. it Yeah, because yeah, every encore they kept looking at him, going like, "I don't know that he can get up and do this one more time." Yeah, because his bandmates were looking at him, saying, "You know, his normal vivacity and and energy. He, you could tell he was kind mm-hmm. of like on life support, but yep. he, you know, he willed it through. That's the type of guy he was. Yeah, which to me is extraordinary. And I, I went back and listened to it, and I mean, bless my girlfriend who is put up with my you know what's great hanging out with you and is that i know you show up prepared every time we we do something like this and you go down the same rabbit hole as mm. i do and i for the past week i've listened to nothing but bob marley shows and watched documentaries and 
read articles and I become more and more fascinated. Well, he was such a unique person. If anyone hasn't researched or been exposed to him, he is really a completely unique musician of all genres. No, absolutely. And I think as a personality, nobody like him. You know, we talk about like when I came into it. So I kind of came into Bob. I mean, I was born in 72, which is right around the time he was starting to change. Mm -hmm. I think Legend was probably my first real experience with it because it was one of those albums you had to have. Yeah. I mean, he was huge in the 70s. That was the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was probably, you know, late 80s, maybe even early mm -hmm. 90s by the time I finally came into him. And when I came into Bob, he was already a deity. Oh, yeah. They had deified him. You know, yep. he had been glorified. And watching the documentary, you kind of got a different sense of like, there's a very sort of passive aggressive, you know, he was a god to his fans, but to some members of his family, they knew he was a hard oh, he was, guy. His... And he grew up hard. Oh, yeah. And it's it fascinates me to grow up that hard, to be a ghetto person. To be that hard to tell your kids, like, you don't need friends. You have your family. And, Just your and, family. And that's it. Um, and not trust anybody. And still promote peace and unity, unity. and love. Yeah. He almost reminds me of the Buddhist concept of, you know, don't mistake the teacher for the teachers. Teachers, yeah. There, there were some contradictions that you saw in his life. Because he, he, he was such a giving soul. But on the other side, he was a very strict disciplinarian as a father mm -hmm. and a parent. And his kids did mention that, which was fascinating. Absolutely mm -hmm. fascinating. I also think the political aspect, there's a weird, almost passive aggressiveness oh, yeah. to it of, you know, he always proclaimed that he wasn't political, but, you know, songs like Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. or war or Trenchtown Rock were sending definite political, political messages. messages. Yes. You know, and obviously he got caught in the middle of the manly Siaga. And that was kind of the dilemma that he was in because the factions in Jamaica wanted him to choose sides and he wouldn't do it. At least on the surface. Mm -hmm. And from what at least the documentary that I watched and have read, he really didn't. No. And he chose not to do that. If you watch the one on Netflix, the Who Shot the Sheriff, mm -hmm. there's some elements in there that weren't in the Marley documentary um, of where I feel like he was played a little bit in the end. Um, so the film crew that went down to shoot that second concert mm -hmm. um the one love concert mm -hmm. um and by the way before i even get into that i would love if there was a recording of him and stevie wonder oh. at the concert before the smile jamaica mm -hmm. where him and stevie did uh superstition together that's fascinating but the camera crew that came down from america to shoot, shoot. that concert the guy who was the director his father was the head of the CIA at the time. That's crazy. Siaga, who became prime minister of Jamaica, 
So basically, you had Siaga and Manly. Manly was friends with uh, Castro, mm-hmm. Cuba, and was trying to make Jamaica communist. Right. Siaga was friends with Ronald Reagan and was trying to make Jamaica capitalist. capitalist. So there's a lot of sort of theories that float around of how much the CIA and the government Influence. of the United States had to do with the assassination attempt on Bob Marley. Interesting. Interesting. What makes it further interesting, like I said, the director was, and again, I'm not creating this. If you watch the documentary, it's, it's there. there. Yeah. Um, his father was the head of the CIA. When they flew all the instruments and the equipment down to kind of shoot and record the One Love concert, there were guns in all the sound equipment that got shipped to Jamaica that were then dispersed to those party members and to all the guerrillas who were out in the street. Wow. That is all in... And that's in the documentary. That's in the Netflix documentary of Who Shot the Sheriff. Yeah. So that kind of supports the case that maybe the CIA, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That the CIA had something to do with that assassination attempt. These are not my opinions. Nothing would surprise me. Just kind of reporting what I've seen, but knowing how U.S. government tries to influence politics. And there's a big thing where... Ronald Reagan is introducing Siaga as his friend mm-hmm. and as a friend of the U.S. Um, so that's it's kind of an interesting thing. And it's just amazing that Bob Marley from Trenchtown, from the government ghettos, mm-hmm. ends up in the middle of this sort of CIA political yeah. divide. It made me think of like Lenin. The CIA had files on Bob Marley. Yeah. They had files on Lenin. Lenin. Oh, yeah. Anything, anybody who's a big pop figure and the and what's absolutely miraculous according to his bandmates who were there that night during the assassination attempt they all are being interviewed saying it's a miracle that marley wasn't assassinated yep for him to literally have a graze wound across his chest where literally the bullet glanced off his chest and stuck in his arm stuck in his arm is extraordinary. And then one other bandmate and his, his, I think wife. his wife yeah, read had it. a glint into her, her head. head. Yep. But sir, everyone survived. Yep. I Even more interesting, when they interviewed Bob, and I think it's in the Marley documentary, but it's definitely in the Who Shot the Sheriff one, when they say, you know, like, oh, you, there was an assassination attempt. He hmm. says, yeah. And they said, do you know who did it? And he says, yeah, I know who did it. Hmm. Do you call the police? He says, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah. He knew a lot of bad people. Oh, yeah. Of course he did. And I guess maybe that's where I feel the the bond with him, the, you know, through my work history and and people that I've known, you you know, the good, the bad, and, and all of it. But I also like the fact that his house was where both rival parties or gangs could come, and there was no... No, they're no fighting on the property. Nope, there never was. All right, so Jamaican num- rum number three. three. This is Plantations Zymucca, which is the indigenous name of the island of Jamaica before it was colonized. Mm-hmm. So this is Plantations. Uh, this is the newest addition to their everyday lineup. 100% Jamaican. 
carries the Jamaican name, mm-hmm. um, comes out of the Claritin and Long Pond, so it's a blend of the two distilleries. So it's probably pot and column. Fantastic transparency, but that this is available as well at Wachusett. 100% pot still. All right. And I love a lot of the labeling of most of the plantation products because if you want to know details, fermentation, one to three weeks, 100% pot still, it gives you the number of grams of esters. It gives you the dosage or the amount of shit. What if any sugar has been added? And in this case, none. Just the the percentage in grams per milliliter of volatiles. I know this is nerdy, but if you really want to know what's in the batch, what's in the distillate, it's all there. Yeah, I mean, their website is fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, it's you know, terrific. It's got, you know, for all their different rums, some of which are blended from different islands. Um, and their willingness to explore and really... You know, you know, use your crayon outside the borders. They are, I think, extraordinary. Collaborations with people from Ireland, um, from brewmasters that are making beer, people in the United States that are making bourbon, um, people in France that are making cognac. Just absolutely. I mean, it's such a voluminous list of, of single batches and experimental things. I'm just super impressed with their willingness not just to stick to the same old, same old. Well, and their connection to France is Pierre, Pierre Ferrand, Ferrand. Um, who is probably my favorite cognac. Um, Pierre Ferrand, famously, when I get to meet them years ago, their whole thing was, you know, we make as much cognac in a year as Hennessy does in a week. week yeah. Um, but it also allows them incredible access to cognac barrels and bourbon barrels. And, exactly. You know, they have connections on all the islands. So, you know, some of their rums are from Guiana, Barbados, mm-hmm. Jamaica. And a lot of their finishing is Rich Nose. They're, they're, the distillate is coming from islands like jamaica they're shipping after it's been completed sometimes five six seven ten twenty years they're shipping it to pierre ferrand in france where it's now aging in like cognac battles uh, barrels for another 12 months 16 months 18 months the amount of care the amount of labor, the amount of time that they're willing to invest to complete a product like this speaks to what they want a finished product to be to the consumer. That speaks volumes to me. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we talk about like whiskey drinkers and, you know, to me, rum is just such a great value alternative. Oh, very much but so. It's any, still under the radar. Yeah. Anybody who is in love for whatever reason with the whole Jefferson's Oceans mm-hmm. concept where they're putting bourbon in barrels and putting it on boats and then charging $40 more. <laughs> this stuff is going from Jamaica 
on a boat to France. Same concept. The same concept yep. in barrel. So it's getting ocean aged. And then, oh, by the way, it ends up in France where it's going in cognac barrels. Not brandy barrels. No, you know cognac. The highest level of brandy in the world, um, at least perception-wise. Yeah. She, for, for months on end where, think of it, their investment is sitting for however long it takes to go from Jamaica to France, where they're not making a dime mm-hmm. on that distillate, and then further finishing it in expensive X cognac casts mm-hmm. for potentially another six to nine to 12 mm-hmm. months. And they're still not making a dime on it. Mm-hmm. And then shipping it back to the States where, where it's sitting on Rich's shelf. Yeah. I mean, at, for, at one under, it under for, 40 bucks, for 40 bucks. Think about that. I think it's probably between 35 and 40, let alone the fuel costs. Yeah. To put it on a boat and get it over there in the labor. And then back to what Rich is saying, where you've got, you know, you've got whiskeys that are ocean aged, where you're talking 80, 90, 100 bucks for those. Yeah, this is, this is delicious because it still has kind of that, it's still got a little bit of that funk, that that native spirit, if you will, that's still there, which I appreciate. They're not hiding anything. No. You know, the oak has not taken over at all, in my opinion, on this. No. I think the the funk is dialed back, but uh, all the, the wood influence is there. Oh, it's definitely there. Um, this, to me, kind of shows, like, what Jamaican rum can be yeah um yeah there's another layer of complexity elegance this this shows the expertise of the person who's blending this Mm. now that's where that's what's showing on this yeah and i i love the packaging packaging. they've got their uniqueness yeah there's kind of the the wrap i'm not sure what that it's like straw yeah it's like a straw wrap and they do this kind of on that whole series yeah that's their whole series the island of fiji one that i have and the single barrels as well yeah Mm. and just for the listener it's 43 percent abv so a little bit higher alcohol but again you're not going to taste the alcohol. It's very much subdued. It's there. It's present, but it's very, it's very well blended in. Yeah, and for me, I mean, it's it's cold outside. When we're recording this, it's freezing rain all day. Yeah. It's icy. Dreary. It's cold. I there's something about this weather. <clears throat> And I've been saying it for the last few weeks. I don't want bourbon. Mm. There's something about this weather. I want scotch. I want brandy. I want aged rum. Mm. There's something about the the spice, the warming element to Mm -hmm. it that makes me feel better when it's cold outside than a big, bold bourbon. Yeah, this is very, very approachable. 
Yeah, you could have this neat, you could have, I don't know if you'd want to necessarily mix this. You could if you wanted to, but this is so well made. I would drink it either neat or maybe put a rock on it. Yeah. I don't even think you'd need to do that. It's a, it's a perfect sipper. Yeah. All right. We're mm. going to take a short break and then we'll get back into the final two rums. And uh, kind of wrap up our final thoughts on Bob Marley Legend. So there it is. Part one of my conversation with my great friend Peter Thomas. Talking about Bob Marley Legend and Jamaican rum. And what did I tell you guys? So much good stuff and it only gets better next week with part two. So hopefully you guys will be back to listen to the rest of this. More incredible rums to taste. More great conversation about Bob Marley and his life, his philosophies. Just so much more ground to cover. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. So if you guys like what's happening here, again, go to the Spotify page. Follow the spot, the podcast. Give us a rating. Go to Facebook where we post this. Leave some comments, some reviews. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. And we'll keep kind of evolving on this journey. As always, I'm humbled that you guys are out there and listening to what I'm doing, that you're digging what I'm doing. The feedback so far has been great. I'm just looking forward to seeing where this can go. And hopefully you guys are back next week for the other half of this conversation. Yeah, I'll take you out on this. A great Bob Marley quote. One good thing about music, when it hits, you feel no pain. So hit me with the music. Yay!